to one and all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a delight to see each one here gathered in together. Let's even surround the throne of grace together and praise Almighty God with one voice in unity. Let's turn to our psalm section of our hymn book, to the Psalm 118a. Psalm 118a. Oh, praise the Lord, for He is good. His mercy lasteth e'er. Let those who are of Israel say, His mercy faileth ne'er. Shall we stand and praise God together this morning? turn in our Bibles now to the book of John and chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and the verse 19 through to the verse 26. Let's hear together the word of the Lord. John 4, 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh 
when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. May God bless his inerrant and infallible word as it's read in public unto our souls. Let's even seek him now for his help with the services as we come to him in prayer even now. Almighty God, we humbly bow before thy throne of grace. O Almighty God, mighty creator, the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence, the one who breathed the breath of life into us. O God of heaven, be praised. May that be the uniformed song of our heart, that God is praised and worshipped in truth here this morning. Lord, as we've just read, there was a time where the worship seemed to be centralized. But, oh God, now, even in Cloverdale and, and here and there and everywhere across this nation, God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Oh Lord, help us with thy worship today, that we would render unto thee a worthy worship, a worship that is from within, of the Spirit, and Lord, that's borne along and carried along by thy power. O oh, Holy Spirit, come in, in mighty power upon this place that the fear of God would fall upon us here as we would come to open up the Scriptures and to praise and worship Thee. O oh, Lord, we've come with a prepared heart to, to meet with Thee. And so, Lord, we pray that You would do just that, that You would have a word in season for each soul here gathered together. O oh, Lord, that You'd even be mindful of us what is man that thou art mindful of us? And yet, Lord, you are, we're told, your thoughts toward us are for good. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do us good this morning and that we would even be a people found rejoicing in Jesus Christ here today. Our, our great hope here and our glory hereafter. Oh, Jesus Christ, in all his excellency, we rejoice in his name today. Oh, Lord, there was a time where we were in the mire of sin, and every believer here can say that you've set our feet upon a rock. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we would be edified and built up here today around the Word, and that this church would be a, a church militant. Oh, God, make us the church militant again, that we would be in a holy war that we would stand beneath the banner of thy cross against all wickedness in the land, and that we would raise up the voice of the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, and that we would even be a people set apart, a light upon the hill, even in this place of Cloverdale, and that even as the flood of wickedness would come, 
that, O Lord, by the Spirit of thyself would raise up a standard against it. O God, meet with us around thy word and that we would be found to be thy people. And if there be any here that are yet outside of Christ's mercy and grace unto us, O Lord, that you would speak to them this morning with thy effectual call, thy undeniable call, the call of one who would say, I recognize the voice of my shepherd and I will follow him all the days of my life. Lord, unto thee be all power, dominion, praise and honor as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, friends, let's continue to praise God together by turning in our hymnals to the hymn 415. 415. There you'll find the hymn, Hallelujah, Thine the Glory. My God, I have found the thrice blessed ground where life and where joy and true comfort abound. The hymn 415, and shall we stand again and praise God together.
seated. At this time I'd like to ask our elder to come forward with the necessary announcements. Good, good morning everyone. Uh, voice has changed a bit but it's good to be here and I get a chance to do the announcements for a change. So uh, this afternoon at 5.30 is our prayer meeting before the evening service. Six o'clock is the evening service. After the evening service, we will have refreshments downstairs. Please come and join with us. Bring something along if you can. And we would have that time of uh, fellowship after the evening service. Wednesday is our Bible study and prayer meeting in the downstairs prayer room. Please come and join with us there, too. Um, our pastor will be back for that uh, meeting. And uh, next Saturday, women's breakfast is at 9 a.m. The men's prayer meeting will be 7.30 p.m. at night because of the following uh, Sunday. We have communion in the morning. And uh, what else is there? Sunday school will recommence next Sunday as well, so please remember that. The children, oh, the Langley Lodge, I'll get there. Uh, the uh, meetings next week at uh, the Sunday school at 9.30, the meeting at 10.30, and then after that at 1.45 we will meet at the Langley Lodge in Langley with the elderly people there, and our pastor will be there for that as well. And remember, the following week, we are going to do a week of prayer. Uh, Wednesday night will be in the prayer room as usual, but the other four nights we will do a prayer, different subjects, our pastor will lead it, but they will be over Zoom, so we can all uh, meet that way, and it will be a little less travel, and hope trying to make it convenient for us to all join in for those times of prayer. And today, we have with us Mr. Stephen Boyd from Prince George. It's a joy to have him with us while our own pastor's in uh, Calgary. But uh, we're happy you could make it, and we ask that the Lord will bless you and help you. And we look forward to the message. Okay? Oh, thank you, brother. Well, this time we'll have our offering hymn. So let's turn to hymn number 385. We'll stay seated for the first few verses. The hymn number 385. The hymn 385, Jehovah, said can you, which is to say the Lord, our righteousness. So as we sing out these words, let us even think of the righteousness of our Lord, Jehovah, said can you.
God and Father, we thank Thee, Lord, that we can gather together. Thank Thee for putting it in our hearts to come and to worship. We ask that You would take our tithes and our offerings, that You would use them and bless them, that the gospel may go forth. We thank Thee, Lord, for all Thy blessings in this past year. Bless us in the coming year as well. We thank Thee, Lord, for a man to preach to us, and we ask You would bless our brother also. Open the word to our own hearts and speak to us, and we ask that you would bless each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, let's continue to praise him with this hymn. Shall we stand and sing the final two verses together? Pray that each one here would even be able to sing those words from your heart. Life-giving and free, Jehovah said, can you, the Lord of our righteousness is all things to me. All things to me. Let's even open the scriptures again to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in the chapter 58. Isaiah 58, we'll read through from the 1st to the 12th verse. Isaiah 58, let's hear the word of the Lord. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife 
and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. May God bless the reading of his word again. Let's even seek him together now in prayer as we come to the preaching of his word. Almighty God, we come in the stillness. We pray, Lord, that you would meet with us afresh. And on this last day of this year of our Lord, oh Lord, we pray that you would send us forth from this place with, a, with a, an edified, built-up, sanctified soul, and that even sinners would be called to salvation, which is of the Lord. Holy Spirit, work, move from, from pew to pew, from heart to heart. Lord, we've come with a prepared heart, with an expectation as well to meet with the true and living God of heaven. And Lord, through thy word, speak. By thy spirit, move. Grip us. Stir us up. Lord, build us up that we would be taken from victory to victory, from strength to strength. And, O oh God, that we would be thy people, firmly settled upon thy word, firmly standing upon thy truth. We come to worship thee, O oh God. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be beggars, starvelings, but instead that we would be fed we come hungering for thy word. We come with a, a, a 
thirsting after knowledge and, and righteousness. And so do, O oh Lord, come and, and meet those needs, satisfy our souls, because we come in Christ's name, the one, the name above all names. And we come praying in that mighty name of Christ, the Redeemer. Amen. Amen. As God instructed the prophet Isaiah in the chapter 40, he sent the prophet forward to comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. But here as we've read in Isaiah 58, he's not come to console a people, but to convince a people. Isaiah 58 begins with an instruction both to the prophet for the house of Jacob, but to every faithful preacher to the church. Isaiah 58, 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. This was not the first time that God would send such a voice, and it would not be the last either. Even as we think of uh, the prophet Ezekiel in the chapter 2. God would send a prophet then as well, saying, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, it says there in verse 3, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and thy fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And we would even think of John the Baptist would, would come forward and say, Repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what is this transgression that the, the prophets are, are seeking to share with, uh, with God's people. It is the, what, is, what is the sin that, that must be shown and exposed? My friends, it is regarding the worthiness of our worship. The worthiness of our worship. When we render unworthy worship unto God, such is the distance between our heart and heaven between the false and the true, that the prophet or the preacher to the church must cry aloud to be heard. He must lift up his voice like a trumpet. Why? Because he's dealing with the deaf, the hypocritical, the unteachable, the unrepentant. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 says, speaking of God's people, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Or as Romans 2.20 says, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. See, the prophet was speaking to the people of Israel, and he saw there that they had the form of righteousness, but not the substance thereof. It would be like having a hearth without a fire or a, a, or a glass without water in it. It's an external righteousness that, is, that was so thorough, as my heart once was, uh, 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 so thorough that it was impenetrable, seemingly. 
so impenetrable, such was the outward devotion that they would show, that it was like a wall of white noise. And the only way that it could be broken through and penetrated was that there would be a man that would lift up his voice like a trumpet to show them their transgression, that their worship was unworthy. And so here in Isaiah 58.1, God says, Spare not. Spare not their feelings. Spare not to uh, suffer fools. Offend them if necessary so that they would hear the voice of God. Wound them that they would hear the voice of God. Risk the loss of family and friends that they would hear the truth. For the sake of their eternal souls, spare not. But then you might be asking, well, why such a heavy hand? Why would God come with such a heavy hand? It is because we're talking about the worship of God. The worship of God. And worthy worship can only be rendered from right motives. Worthy worship is born out of a heart of gratitude to God for his grace and mercy to us. And it is born out of the meritorious work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. The meritorious work of Christ in his sinless life, in his atoning death, in his victorious resurrection. And thus from that place springs forth from our heart a, a gratuitous worship and praise unto Almighty God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Folks, outward devotion without a true change of heart is worthless worship before God. And we ought to know He's deadly serious in this regard. We think in Numbers 26, 61, where Nadab and Abihu, they died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. We think of Cain and Abel's sacrifices as worship unto God, and one was worthy and one was unworthy. There are so many examples of this. We must know how to worship. And as we read in John 4, God must be worshipped in spirit, which is to say inwardly, Godward, and in truth, which is not to say from some false notion of who God is, but from a true understanding of who God says He is. God is a jealous God, it says. So we need to know who it is that we worship as well. God alone shall be worshipped. And in this day and generation, as you know, we're, we're inundated with things that would seek to have the honor or to have our worship to them. And I remember even uh, in the summer, I was at an event where we were the, in the crowd. It was at a, at a rodeo on a Saturday. And uh, the whole crowd was asked to stand, remove cover, bow their heads, but it wasn't a prayer unto the Almighty God. It was, a, it was a, a prayer by a native lady, and it was unto a pagan God. And every single person in that stand stood, removed cover, and bowed their head 
to a pagan and false god, except for myself and my two children, out of all the people, because God is a jealous God, and God says you'll worship no other than me. And so it is, we must spare not. As John Trapp said in his commentary, if a man's house be on fire, we must not speak softly as loath to awaken them. We must cry aloud and like a trumpet say, Sir, your house is on fire. And I'll add this, that if a man has a regenerate heart, if a woman and child has a heart that's been born again, with a deep, enduring love and gratitude for the grace of God in Christ, he'll repent of that, of that self-word, unworthy worship. And that burning house will be most alarming to that person. Most alarming. And he'll desire, as I pray, would be our desire to, to reform our worship unto a, a true and worthy worship unto God. That we would desire to mortify our own flesh and worship in spirit and in truth. But there are some, as we know, that would shake their fist at God, that they would turn from that burning house and they would shake their fist there at God and watch it burn. And that person, well, he's the Pharisee, certainly. And that person, he's the modernist. But oftentimes he's off... He's you and me. He's you and me. How often does our sinful nature overrule our worship? How often do we fail in our efforts to restrain our manward focus and to give it all unto God and surrender that's worthy unto Him? How often? I pray even today that we the Lord would, we would hear the words of the prophet crying aloud to us, sparing not, lifting his voice to us that we would all hear and ask that question, is our worship worthy or is it worthless? Oh, that we would all even search our hearts here today and that God would would render within us that worthy worship unto himself. I decidedly for this year to come, away with all mere performance of praise. In this year to come, away with all hypocrisy and self-centeredness in our worship. And may our worship be worthy, God-centered, selfless, self-denying, ministering in mercy and with love to the lost. We must render from the Spirit and not of the flesh, rendered from truth, as I said, revealed in Scripture, and not some false notion of who we would create some God of our own design to worship. Let's render our worship from a heart of thanksgiving for everything that we have in Christ Jesus rendered from a heart that's been utterly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today I want to consider with you three things. The conditions of worthy worship, the treasures of worthy worship, and the legacy of worthy worship.
And so it is as we come to consider the conditions of worthy worship, we see and look with me at Isaiah 58 and the verse 2. And sadly, what you will see there is a grand theatrical performance of the house of Jacob. And it says there, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. But it's all theater. It's all performance of praise. And it's worthless. And further we see in verse 3, they're fasting. They're fasting, which is of course right and good. We ought to fast. We ought to deny the flesh when done with right motives. But these people, they fasted falsely, selfishly, for their, for their own glory. And they're not meeting the conditions of worthy worship. And their heart is again laid bare before God. See in the latter part of verse 3, look with me there, where it says, Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. We'll talk more of that uh, this evening. They, they will not forego the lesser pleasures of the world and of the flesh for the greater pleasure of worthy worship. And we see there also in verse 4, it says, Behold, ye straff, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. My friends, their fast, their worship was marred by pridefulness and fighting. And in verse 5, God sees that they afflict their souls, bow down their heads, spread sackcloth and ashes under them. And the outward worship that they're rendering unto God is counted again as unworthy. Now looking at verse 3, we see the result of unworthy worship. And this is absolutely devastating, my friends. This is devastating, this result of unworthy worship. Because God is not pleased. They say unto the God of heaven, Wherefore have we fasted, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? But we can't say that there was no reply from heaven. Their idea that there was no reply is false because God's reply was the rebuke of the prophet. Verse 4, the latter half of, says, Ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. The latter half of verse 5 says, Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day? To the Lord. My friends, the conditions of worthy worship are not met. But here in verse 6, as the prophet begins to describe true fasting, there's something that is so beautiful taking place before us here in Scripture. And I'm talking, I'm talking about true beauty, my friends. I, I recall a, a story a friend told me about finding her son staring at a tree and, and he was weeping. And when the mother asked the son, son, why are you weeping? And as he beheld the birds at play in the branches, he said, mom, it's just so beautiful. Beauty that moves to tears. Beauty that instructs the heart. 
Beauty that elevates the soul. The beauty of God in his scripture. And as the prophet begins to unfold this beauty, we see that this should be our response to such beauty as well. Tears. Because as he begins to describe worship that is worthy, it's as though he's getting to say, let me now tell you about true fasting. Let me now tell you about true religion. And as we look at verses 6 and 7, it is just so beautiful. Because God says, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Verse 7, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? The beauty is that it, th there is this effect where God, God's grace is a common grace that even goes beyond the borders of this church and our own lives. My Reformation Heritage Study Bible succinctly puts this all together when it says this. Love for one's neighbor is an index of one's love for God. Love for one's neighbor is an index of one's love for God. See, the beauty of worthy worship it's seen in its selflessness because it's directed Godward and away from our, ourselves. And that is the condition that must be met with our worship. We see there in the latter half of verse 9, there's that qualifier word, if, if. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity. Verse 10, there's that qualifier again, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, it's a condition of worthy worship unto God to pray and to fast and to praise him from, firstly, from a gospel heart, a changed heart. When verse 9 says, take away from the midst of thee the yoke, this, this is to say, my friends, to forsake all human invention to forsake all sin that is within and without, and to trust only in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us in faith. It means that we're also to have a patient heart, no putting forth of the finger, but a, a, a patience and a long-suffering, that same attitude that was toward us, to forsake all acts of scorn and contempt towards others. We must also have a prideless heart, or, uh, forsaking speaking vanities, speech that would be injurious or self-serving. We must also have a compassionate heart. It says in verse 10, to draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. We do not, by having compassion, it doesn't make us enablers of the addict or the drunkard, or the, the, the slothful. But my friends, we must be known of God for our compassion, for our mercy to others. 
both as in Matthew 6, 4 that spoke of our secret homes, but also by openly, not just in secret, but openly drawing out our soul to the afflicted with a hearty love and affection as unto the Lord himself, knowing as we do that there by the grace of God go I. And so as we've, con- we've discussed these conditions of worthy worship, and we need to move from the qualifying if to the resulting then. And this is where it all breaks wide open. Because here we see the treasures of worthy worship. The treasures of worthy worship. It says in verse 8, Then, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Child of God, we can rejoice in these promises. Amen. By the strength of God's everlasting and almighty arm, our path that once was so crooked and dark is now a linear path. And my friends, it is that straight and narrow road and it is a path that is true to the target when it's in Christ, like an arrow that is in flight. Child of God, all that is done in the conditions of worthy worship result in this spiritual prosperity, the treasures of worthy worship, And it's born in the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, breaking forth as the morning. Isaiah 61 says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Breaking forth as the morning. Thine health shall spring forth speedily, it promises. And this, my friends, is a restoration of, of that false fasting unto a true fasting, a a true worship. Because once where there was a a contempt, oh, my friends, now because of the gospel, that contempt becomes a compassion. And rather than having that hypocrisy of worship, we now have this soundness of worship. And rather than having that performance uh, that we spoke of, There is this participation in. It's not a performance, my friends, any longer. In Christ, it becomes a participation in the worship because of the righteousness imputed to us in Christ Jesus. And verse 8 says, Thy righteousness goes before thee on that linear path. John Gill says, Christ is our righteousness, the morning sun of our righteousness that arises upon them with healing in his wings and from whom we have the health before mentioned and that he goes before his people as the forerunner from Hebrews 6.20. He's going before us on that linear path unto glory, a glory that he will one day introduce us into that heavenly glory. My friends, it's a linear path. Are you on a crooked and dark path? Let me tell you about a linear path this morning. A straight and narrow path. And it's a path that's, that's true to the target, as I said, like an arrow in flight. And before us is unfolding like the morning sun, the, the treasures of worthy worship there before us. And then behind us, there's the the power and providence of God preserving us, our rearward. 
And my friends, whatever troubles lie ahead, or whatever trials or pursuers are behind, we worship as those abiding in Christ. And as we go forward, there is this, this means of propulsion. And my friends, it's as though we are knocked upon the bowstring. And as we aim at the target set before us in Christ, we are absolutely loosed unto worthy worship. Loosed unto worthy worship. And that's what we desire here, each and every one of us, to know what it is to be propelled by the glory of the Lord towards that target. Verse 9 says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am, here I am. Unlike in verse 3 and 4 that we read before the preaching, when the worship was unworthy, and the, their fast was false, and they weren't heard. They weren't heard. But here we have another treasure, that so beautiful treasure unfolding before us, in that we have the ear of Almighty God. We have the ear of God. And we, as we call upon Him in faith, He's not afar off, my friends. He's He's ever near to you, even now, sitting in the pews, ready to, to bless, ready to refresh, ready to defend you, ready to save you. Can we appreciate for a moment what it is to have the ear of God? That he would be ready to hear our call, to be ready for the, uh, I, I, I say carefully, like a, a summons, oh God, and I believe, my friends, that's a look into the towering heights of God's love. It's a look into that towering heights where even there is, a, is Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's the towering heights of God's love for us. That same God we come to worship this morning. How is it that God says, here I am, well, I, I, I am inclined to think of it the other way around, like in Isaiah 6, where the prophet fell down as dead, completely undone. So much so he couldn't even lift up his face. And he says, to God, here am I. God in his grace and mercy to us. We see there that the treasures of worthy worship are just continue to be heaped and heaped upon us, abundantly blessing us, causing us to shine brightly even in, in the darkest times, guiding us unto the wells of satisfaction for our thirsty souls, causing us to flourish. Oh, Christian, are you flourishing? Christian, are you growing? Because this, the source of that growth and flourishing is from an unfailing source of blessing. And the latter half of verse 10 says, Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And so, my friends, that, that leads us into our third and final point, which is the legacy of, 
of worthy worship. It says there wonderfully in, in verse 12, And they that shall be of thee, which is to say our sons, our daughters, all the future generations to come, that they shall build, they will be like the instruments of restoration. Fathers, are, are we raising up those foundations? Are we leading our family in those ways that even our children, those that be of thee, shall be the ones who will be used as instruments of restoration, means of God's end, of God ends. The, those old waste places, the, the ruins of righteousness, the sacred places that have been profaned, it says there, thou, thou shall raise up which is in the fear and the nurture of the Lord, the, the foundations of many generations, generations that will be built upon that, that foundation, that rock of Christ. And it says there, and thou, thou shalt be called repairs of the breach. It, it's like some unbelievable, uh, undeserved title that's, that's heaped upon us in, in this. Like a, it's like a title of honor to us, the redeemed in Christ, that we would be called by those that come after us. We would be called the repairers of the breach. It's like a grand patriarchal or matriarchal title that is heaped upon you, given to you like a, like a crown. But before we go riding off into the sunset with our new name and say, well, look at me, we have to remember the breach itself. We're all familiar with the breach. So if we're be to be repairers of it, well, what is this breach? And each and every one of us know what this breach is. Because we're all of Adam's race. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. My friends, the castle walls, as it were, have been sieged. They've been broken. And my friends, in that breach, as sin pours through unabated into our lives, we know what the breach is because we were born with it. We were born with broken walls and sin flowing in unabated into that castle, as it were. And you know, we might, there were times where, or even now, you might want to despair because we know, we know the walls were breached by our own sin. And so, one would be wont to lie there helplessly, broken, in desperate need of some help. But look with me at John 5. Let's turn to John 5 quickly and there in John 5 it says there in John 5 6 we find there there's a, the lame man he's languishing at the edge of a healing pool and John 5 6 says this when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case he saith unto him wilt thou be made whole the impotent man answered him, said, saying, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. My friends, he had no man to put him into the pool. 
And the distance between him and the, the healing, as it were, was beyond his capabilities. It was a, a bridge too far. It was a, a span too great. And yet the lame man was speaking with the God man. The one who can bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound, Isaiah 30, 26. And there in John 5, 8, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And in verse 14, afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made, art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The layman had no man, but you and I, everyone that would be listening to this sermon, we have a man. We have one that, that spans that place from our brokenness and from our healing. The man, truly man and truly God, the one Christ Jesus. And my friends, as we're restored unto worthy worship by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we must not hide our faces in shame just because of remembering the breach. Because we remember all of our old names, idolater, blasphemer, Sabbath breaker, killer, adulterer, thief, liar, coveter, all those old names. See, the castle walls had been sieged by sin and, and it was flowing in unabated. But now, now God's given you, O oh Christian, a new name because you are by his grace repairers of the breach and we are to bring the gospel to bear upon every broken place, every liberty lost, every unity that's been rent apart in families and marriages and churches. This is your legacy. This is your heritage of worthy worship. Child of God, your Father in heaven is looking upon your heart even now. And what does he see there? Because God seeks those who will mortify manward worship and that they will instead manifest mercy. Will God find among us those who will bear the name repairer of the breach? Turn ahead with me three books to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22 in the verse 29, we see there the people of the land had used oppression and exercised robbery and had vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they had oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Ezekiel 22, 30 then says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Folks, God is seeking who shall make up the hedge to stand in, in the gap and repair the breach. And will he find one? Will he find many here in our number? I pray that he, that he does. I pray that it would drive our worship even beyond ourselves, 
and that it would even propel our evangelism beyond these walls. My friends, there are many upon that broad road to hell. They're in your families. They're in your workplace. They're everywhere round about us. Who will bring them the gospel? Who will bear witness of the glories of Christ? Who will make up the hedge? Who will stand in the gap? Who will be repairers of the breach? Will God seek a man and find none? as he did in Ezekiel's day. And so the message is, hurry. Go forward in courage. And hurry we must. We cannot, we cannot, uh, we can spare not. We must cry aloud. Because we have the greatest mercy of all in telling the lost of Jesus Christ. And that there is salvation for each and every soul that would call upon him in faith, repenting of their sin. But my friends, as we close, I thank you for your patience. I must ask you, if, if within you, as you're sitting in the pew, if within you, you're wondering what I'm going on about. Because If there's a mute, if you, within your heart there's a mute worship, if there is no worthy worship flowing from a, a gratuitous heart, to the meritorious work of Christ, if this is all foreign and strange and silent within you, my friends, behold God. You're, do not suppress the knowledge of God. You see it everywhere revealed to you in creation. You couldn't even arrive at this church this morning without seeing God on display. You couldn't even stand beneath the skies last night and say, there is the glory of God, his handiwork, he's showing it to me. My friends, it's revealed in the scripture. God, God has revealed himself to you. Do not suppress that knowledge. Because we have to worship either the true and living God or some other thing. And in Isaiah 2, verse 8, it speaks of that other thing. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their fingers have made. It's a God in their own image that they worship, rather than the true and living God. And so it is, my friends, as we close, I must cry aloud, I must spare not. I must lift up my voice like a trumpet and show the transgressions against God and his worship. And the desire is that we would look unto Christ this morning because that is the only way to even bring worthy worship unto God is from a heart that's been utterly transformed in Christ Jesus And my friends, as you come to him, trusting in him, repenting of your sin, repenting of worshiping some other God you've created in your own image, as you repent of those things and you turn as though a ship was turned from its course and instead you're saying, I'm going on with God. I want to worship the true and living God of heaven. And my friends, in doing so, that's Jesus standing in the breach 
That's the one in whom we're following after to be also repairs of the breach, to make up the hedge, to repair the breach. And my friends, when you think of, when you think of our dear Savior, what is the greatest illustration of the breach but the cross? And what did our Savior say upon the cross when he was making up and repairing that breach between the holiness of God and sinful man? He said, it's finished. It's finished. And my friends, that's perfect selflessness on display. That's perfect submission on display. And my friends, it's perfect sincerity on display. Because we can't say as the layman did that we have no man. Because each and every one of us have a man, the God-man, the one truly man and truly God. The one upon the cross, the greatest repairer of the breach. My friends, he died to bridge that gap. And he rose again that you and I could share in the great victory that is his. If you would but turn from your sin now and trust in Christ alone. And even then, once that's accomplished, my friends, you can cry out from a heart that's not mute to worship, but a heart that is flowing, flowing with worship unto the true and living God. From a new heart to the God of mercy, do you know him? I pray each and every one does. And even as we would embark on this new year, my friends, we're, it's not just the threshold of a new year that we're standing on. It's the, the shores of eternity. And where will your eternal soul go? I pray it will be into the glories and splendors of heaven and greater treasures of worthy worship. Let's close with a hymn. The hymn number 129. The hymn 129. Up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walked Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. Let's stand and sing this unto our Lord.
praises. We surround thy throne with worship. And Lord, we pray it would be rendered unto thee from a heart that has been utterly transformed by the gospel of thy grace found in Jesus Christ. Lord, send us forth from this place and into the new year rejoicing in our Savior Jesus Christ and telling others of the wonderful riches of mercy found in him. Oh Lord, that we would not, we would spare not that we would lift up our voices, we would be a courageous people, we would be a church militant against this, this wicked and perverse generation, and that we would go forward standing upon the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, send us forth, each of us, with the crown of salvation upon our brow and the glow upon our faces that today we've met with the true and living God of heaven as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated.